Good evening and welcome to Tuesday night, 29th of September. Uh, what's been happening? Or so what's been happening? We did a show a couple of nights ago and we've got a unique opportunity to get half an hour with half, we're going to call it for tonight. So it's squeezing as much content as we can in, in, a, in a limited amount of time. So just welcome up a good mate of mine first, Mr. Glenn Curran. How are we, Glenn? How's the day, good man? Not too bad at all, thanks, mate. Evening to all the people watching. Thousands of you out there, undoubtedly. Who would have thought episode five we've uh, no. ticked in the box? This this wasn't supposed to go past episode one. So uh, it's great news. And we're officially live on Facebook, live on YouTube, and we're also hooked up to Podbean now, which is uh, downloadable audio podcast. So get amongst it like the Facebook page, and you never know where this will go. So I look forward to a chat with a very good mate of mine. Uh, I've grown up close, very close to this family, and super honoured to call this guy a good mate of mine. We don't see each other all the time, but we're never never far from each other's thoughts, I'm sure. Glenn, you know a little bit about this guy. You've probably He's seen his, his uh a presence, I think you, you you call it these days, um, yes. in and around the traps. Whether he's whether it's the beautiful dulcet tones of uh, Daniel Harford on the radio, back in the days he's he's had plenty of media commitments over time. So he's got plenty plenty to offer. He's done plenty in his short career and life so far, and he's got so much more to give. So I think, without further ado, I will bring up the great man, Daniel Harford. How are we, Dan? I see, Glenn, I'm very well. What an honour. Episode five, you've even got the number right for me. This is a very special occasion. Thank you. <laughs> we've, looked, we've looked after you, mate. Only special things to special people, mate. Um, nice to be a part probably... of it. Great to see the Glenn Ferry Oval in the background for you there, AC, the, the home of football. There's, there's a lot going on. There's Dula jumpers. It's just a footy frenzy here. Absolutely. It's a, it's a special time of year, even though we, we feel so distant in lock-up at the moment. Right now, let's cut to a day. What's a day in the life of Daniel Harford in lockdown in Victoria look like at the moment? Oh, it's bloody boring is what it is. Um, well, it starts pretty early. We get up nice and early to get ready for uh, the Breakfast Club on RSN 927, which is my day job these days, talking sport for two and a half hours in the morning, which when you break it down like that, it doesn't seem that much. But getting up early hurts my heart a bit because it's not something I've ever done before, before getting into, into radio. I've been a night owl for 20 years and getting up at, 4.30, 5 o'clock is not really my idea of a good time. So get up early, get to work, which is only these days. I run to work every day, uh, three and a half metres from the bedroom to the study, and uh, do the show from there. And then we were off air, off air officially around about 8.30, post-production meeting till about 9. I go and have, uh, I run back home, another three and a half metres, and then go to the kitchen and have some breakfast with the kids because uh, the bloody kids are home at the moment because of the, the no school situation. So that's... It's a bit of chaos in the morning. Um, thankfully, they've got their routine pretty down pat. Then it's my job to clean the house, and it's my job to walk the dogs, and then I'll have a little Kip Danui, Moses Kip Danui in the afternoon for about half an hour, I see, just to recharge the batteries. And then just life, whatever happens in the afternoon is just life stuff. There's a bit of footy coaching. We're getting ready for the draft, the AFLW draft next week. So there's a bit of that going on, a bit of recruiting and Zoom meetings coming out of my ear hole um, and all the catch-ups that, that go along with that, planning for the new season. And then something inevitably bobs up in the evening like this, um, where someone wants to catch up or have a chat or friends and family doing a bit of a Zoom session. So this is this is pretty much life at night time for me um, around about the moment. Yeah, look, it's not it's not all bad, is it? It's still a great way to be able to connect um, for sure, um, and it probably doesn't get done enough. So this podcast was born out of boredom um, in respect <laughs> of lo lockdown. Um, and I can't find a better man to have a chat to than yourself, Dan. It's been a while, I must admit. As uh, take a, take an opportunity to say a quick hello to the world champ, um, your lovely wife Beck, um, or I believe is on delivery duties now on weekends from the lovely Mabel Jones, which is well, yeah, could be, could be great to see. Yeah, a, it's a little... been good fun. I've done a bit of it too, I must admit. On Father's Day and the week before that, uh, I was out there delivering some. Some magnificent goodies from Mabel Jones, 67 Grimshaw Street in Greensboro. Check it out if you haven't already. Um, just to get him, just to do something, mate. It was the, the plan very was to help out a little bit. Very good plug. Yeah, thank you, Glenn. I'm, I'm getting good very at the nice. plugging. 
I just wanted to get out of the house and and Shona, my sister, who runs that, and her husband Damien, um, well, he runs it. She's uh, she's the brains behind the the back office. Um, they just needed some help delivering stuff because obviously you can't have people in the restaurant, the cafe at the moment. So we're all on the on the order of a go stuff. And I just wanted to do something. So the Beck and I said we'll we'll help out and just do some delivery. So it was actually nice to get out of the house and and get in the car and go for a drive, let alone help out the business. And um, well, it's been a pretty challenging time for a lot of businesses out there, but a lot of small business. Yeah, it sure has, and um, you've got you've got plenty of outlets to spread your time and um, break up a day. So I take it homeschooling's not on your agenda. Well, unfortunately, my kids are a bit a bit older. Like if I had primary school kids feeding, I don't know how I'd go. It'd be it'd be a disaster. I'd throw it all out the window, and we'd just play the Xbox or something, or shoot some hoops in the backyard, or or whatever. Yeah, but they're thirteen and sixteen, so year seven, year ten. So the high school stuff is is really good. That the curriculum they've got going. Um, and the secondary school that the kids are at has been really good, I must admit. So they're pretty self-sufficient. They, they do a great job. Um, the, the online process there is, is really good. So we actually don't need us, which is nice. Um, because the, the stuff that I'd like to think I was pretty good at school, or okay at school anyway, but the stuff they're doing, I've got no idea what they're doing anyway. So I'd be no help. And so it's worked out okay. Well, you're, I think you're a bit modest, mate, because you're, you're a fair student back in the day. Um, let's say you didn't work too hard. For your, stu- for your school, you loved your sport. Um, and I think, fair to say, uh, schoolwork came naturally for you, I think, in my opinion. What was your, what was your quick memories of uh, school and how hard did you, do you think you've told the kids you had to work? <laughs> well, I lie to them every day of the week <laughs> about how hard I worked because it's not what you do, it's what you did, it's what you say. Um, oh, no, look, I never pushed myself too hard i did take great pride and i had a fair bit of pride anything i do i have a fair bit of pride in what i do so i didn't want to be a goose about it but as you as you said i see it was um sport was sort of my focus and i got away with it a bit because i had i had the dimples and a little bit of cheeky charisma and i just be able to manipulate some teachers along the way and get away with a few things i probably shouldn't have and um that probably didn't help me in my schooling but i got through i got through and i went to university i met my wife there doing the same degree she did it in three years um, I couldn't quite finish at seven and a half. Got a bit bored. I didn't quite take up the full full toll of the uh, of the load of, of university. But there's no point two of us having the same degree. That's double handling, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. So it was it was efficient use of time, Glenn. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly, mate. Now, talk to me about one of your passions. Obviously, AFLW and and women playing footy. Very big passion of yours. Like I hear, I've heard you speak about it a couple of times, and you can hear it in your voice when you speak about there you are. You're very full on about getting more involvement for the girls, and at some stage, heading towards probably not going to happen, but heading towards equality. How they're seen as footballers, AFL footballers, like the men are. Yeah, they're very different games, and one of the things I always say is, if you think women's footy is going to be like men's footy, then you're a goose, um, because they're, they're not the same in, in just about any respect. What the, the sentiment, the, the philosophy of the game is that the game's essentially the same uh, to a degree, but there's still a few changes in that as well. But these, what I didn't know for women's footy existed until four years ago. I had no idea. I, and like most middle-aged men, chicks playing footy, come on, give us a spell. Um, so, and it's not until you're exposed to it and the energy and the environment that it is that you understand how nourishing it is from a football perspective and a sports-loving perspective. And it's it's been, along with coaching local footy, I must admit, um, it's given me my love back of the game because it's, it's really pure and it's raw and there's, Real emotion. It's not tainted by money. It's not tainted by ego. It's not tainted by um, manipulative executives. It's it's a pure form of the game. It's it's not very different in many respects to local footy. You train two nights a week or two and a half nights a week, and they're semi-professional. It's all after work sort of stuff, after six pm. Um, and it's but they're given full resourcing. Like it's it's unbelievable. It's, what an opportunity for for a women's competition to start with that. And clearly, it's not going to be the finished product when it starts. And people to lose track of that when they talk about it. But the, the gains that they've made in, in my three years, I've only been involved three years, has been nothing short of extraordinary. Where I started at Collingwood as an assistant in 2018, must have been, um, to my second year as coach at Carlton this year in 2020, the standard of play and the quality of play is ridiculously different. And then you'll see a what you don't notice in that photo is the, the health kick I was on then. I had the apple core in between the thumb and the forefinger there, which was done. Um, so that was my health health core kick, and um, and that was a great photo. I love that photo at the Magpies. I had a great time there. But it's just 
it's a very different beast. It's not all-consuming. It's not kill or be killed. There's a wonderful environment in women's footy, certainly the AFLW level, and I imagine through the pathways as well. And now there's investment in those pathways. So what we're seeing is players who come into the AFLW who have been playing since they were 10, just like the boys, and they get to the AFLW with coaching, with resourcing, with pathway development, and they get a chance to play the best game in the world. And I, it's something I believe, I'm sure there's plenty of people that don't, I think it's the best game in the world, um, perhaps ruined at, at men's level at the game at the moment, but it's the best game in the world and it's, they're fully resourced. They've got support like they've never had. They've got opportunities like they've never had and they embrace it like I've never seen footballers do. So it's a really cool thing. Once you're involved in it, it's, it's quite, I say this a lot, it's quite intoxicating, uh, the experience I've yeah. had with AFLW and women's footy in general. And um, I am very, very pleased to be a part of it and help it try and help it grow to an extent where it can one day be... A full-time profession, and then that's a long, it's a fair way off, and everyone knows that. Um, but think, what an opportunity think, that would be! Do you think that's an attainable thing, Dan, to sort of get to that stage? Where it would be for for professional women to be professional, full-time professional AFLW players. Is it is that pie in the sky? Or is that is that? Do you think that's the ultimate aim of where it sits, say today, to get to? I think that's got to be the goal. Yeah, Glenn, I think yeah. that's got to be the goal. Um, now, whether or not it is, I, I don't. I don't know the economics of it. I don't understand that side of it. I just buy the whistle and move the cones. That's my job. Um, so I don't understand the full comp, the full picture, and it's a long way from being that at the moment anyway. And, again, we, we understand that. But I think that's got to be the goal, and, and we've seen yeah. through the last couple of years the investment that's been made, the development that's been made. So there's a correlation with what you invest and the return you get. So whether yeah. if, you, if you make that a full-time investment, that's obviously going to cost a lot. The cost base of that's going to be significant. Um, a full-time investment, you're going to get a much better result much quicker than you will as a part-time system. And we saw that with men's footy for years, didn't we? we saw the explosion of yeah. professionalism in the AFL, and I saw it. I lived it um, in, in the men's competition where it went from part-time to full-time and, and the way the game transformed overnight. So I've no doubt that would happen with, with the girls as well, um, but it is it is a bit off at the moment, I think. I know we've thrown the, the schedule straight out of the window straight away. We, we were going in an order, but in typical fashion of so what's been happening, we've kicked straight into women's footy, and that's fine. It's a great topic. And I think, Dan, to become from from a childhood love of Collingwood as a kid uh, and to, yep. be, to eventually go into that um, environment where you came up as a talented youngster, you had to be somewhat neutral, as far as a supporter, because you weren't really sure where you were going to be. And let's face it, you're on a good pathway. Um, so I think, to be fair, in your, in your younger childhood, you you kind of kept yourself neutral. You didn't really declare your, your colours to a lot of people just to be uh, the, the do the right thing by the draft. And then once you got there, um, obviously, we'll talk about your career in a second, um, but you, you've, you eventually got back to where your roots originally wanted or your passion for, which was Collingwood Footy Club. What is that juggernaut like? And I know you're involved with the women's program, but I'm sure you got to mix plenty in within the men's program. What was that juggernaut like as a big club? And then we'll talk about where you've gone to with Carlton. Yeah, it's well, you're right. I, I did sort of hedge my bets a little bit late in my, my teen years when the draft was sort of approaching in the last couple of years, my junior career. And because you don't want to emotionally invest too much because you might not be there. So so I was able to distance myself a little bit. But getting back there, was it was a really cool thing, I must admit. I, I didn't expect to, because there's an expectation with Colin, and everyone knows who's part of uh, the AFL fraternity, but a supporter, a member, or a fan, or a player. Collingwood has expectation, and, and you feel that when you walk in, the way they've built the Westpac Centre, the Holden Centre, it's called these days, um, where the history is through. Um, there is there is no no opportunity to fail. You don't, want it, you don't want to be the team at Collingwood that isn't pulling their weight and representing the brand that the history and the legacy deserves. So there, there is absolutely that feeling. Um, and then you've got the, the opportunity. Like that facility at the Westpac Centre is, is magnificent, magnificent. Um, so you, you see the the investment and the resourcing that they throw into their programs. Now they've got, you know, women's footy, VFLW footy. They've got the netball as well. So they, they want to be the biggest sporting club. They feel they are the biggest sporting club in the land. Um, and in many measures, they probably are to a degree. But... Uh, it's it's a really not intimidating, but there's a there's a sense that um, every time you step foot in, that something is expected of you, that you need to be at your best every time. It's a, it's a really interesting phenomenon, I must admit. Yeah, look, it's great. And then a year later, you get to move to another powerhouse, the Carlton Footy Club, where you get a clean slate, um, and you get to very quickly come from an assistant coach into a head coach role. 
must be an absolute honour to to be able to coach the first AFL women's for Carlton. Yeah, it's it's a magnificent opportunity. And again, not something I've expected to do, but I fell in love with the game as an assistant at the Magpies and this job opened up and I thought I'd, you know, I'd coached 10 years of local footy um, prior to being at Collingwood. So I was, I was a senior coach, that's what I did. Um, and I learned a lot about being a coach and being an assistant and how to compartmentalise and narrow the focus a bit, which I think has helped me. But I, I wanted to try and coach a program at that level my way and see if it could see if it could work. Um, and, and the opportunity came up through through um, the previous coach at Carlton um, not being given another contract. So that there was a, a job to fill. So I put my hand up straight away and said, I'd like to have a chat. Andrew McKay rang me and said, we'd love you to be a part of the selection process. And I went through the whole interview process. It was, you know, it was the first real interview process I'd done. I did one at St. Kevin's many years ago um, in a shed in Glen Iris when it was bucketing down rain and the bin was catching the water from the hole in the roof which is a slightly different scenario to the boardroom at one of the big consultant firms in Melbourne and when you're applying for the Carlton AFLW job with a, a board of heavies asking you, putting your questions. So I, I wanted to give it a go. And I'd played at, at Carlton, finished my career at Carlton and always had a really nice connection with that footy club. I had a wonderful experience in my last year uh, playing at, at Carlton. And I went back two years later to play at the Bull Ants as their VFL affiliate just to play footy again and, and be a part of that world again. So it was a really warm and, and seeing what it looked like on the other side of the fence. And so any opportunity to get back and, and give back a little bit as well was was a, a huge opportunity. So I took season two in, in season three um, to, to rebuild the program pretty much from the ground up, which is what we did. We made a few changes fundamentally to the, to the program. Um, we restructured the list a bit. But essentially, we had a really good list that just wanted to be given another opportunity. So um, I wanted to be that guy. And as a coach, as a manager, as a leader of anyone, doesn't matter what industry, you want to see people be better, and that's that was what I wanted to achieve, and that's what all I want to achieve as a coach. I want to see people be better. Um, so yeah, we were able absolutely. to do that in that first year and, and made a big difference pretty quickly, which was great. There's one thing. Uh, I found a beautiful photo online about, uh, to me, this is the epitome of raw emotion, and I know you're a hugger half, and it's you're great that hugger. you've been able to you bring – Bring all that. It's going to look a little bit different after this COVID experience, um, and I'm more than likely that's going to fill into um, AFLW still next year with these COVID protocols. So, how are you going to go without the hug? Yeah, it's it's something I am not not looking forward to. I must admit, it. you are right, and you know me well. I am a I am a hugger. I like physical contact with people. It's it's my thing. My kids hate me for it because I'm all over them. <laughs> I get pushed away from the world champ too a few times as well. So. Uh, it's it's my thing. I love it. I draw energy from other people, and and not having that capacity to to be physical with with others is gonna is gonna be a something I have to learn to deal with pretty quickly. Um, but because you're right, Absolutely. it's gonna be. I imagine it will be a part of it pretty quickly. But I do. I like to. People like to be. There's a connection. You know, when you when you hug someone, there's a real connection, and and there's a great endorphin lift. Medically, there's an endorphin lift if you do it right. If you hug correctly, there's a real endorphin lift for both participants in that in that moment. So. It's a feel-good thing, and I'm I'm into it, um, and I've got no problems with admitting that. And the girls, the girls are very happy to do it. I used to hug my male players as well, my boy players when I was coaching local footy. It's one of those things. I just I like to do it, and it seems to go down pretty well with most people. Let's flash back to it wasn't all footy, was it, Dan? Um, this little picture when you played at the ah. Riverside Cricket Club back in the day. Um, <laughs> it's not a toy. Believe, uh, is not a toy. Yeah, you were you were some sort of player, mate, back in the day. I know you didn't play a heap of cricket, but it was definitely one of your loves. Oh, no doubt, love cricket. Yeah, no, the Riverside um, where I played, I mean, I had the best time. I had the best time. I, I still play. When I finished playing footy, whenever it was, a while ago now, um, I started playing cricket again because I, I loved and missed cricket. Cricket was, my, I think, my first love and probably greater love. Um, I, I was probably better at footy. But I really love—I love the battle of cricket. Every ball's a battle in cricket. We're in the field, at the crease, with the ball in hand, like every ball's a battle. It's a brilliant game. Some people who don't understand it and don't get the magic of it can sit there and go, "How boring is this?" But it's every ball is a battle, and there's no second chance. Sometimes you get get let off when you stick it to the keeper and the umpire gives you not out. But um, so there's there's no second chance. It's a beautiful game. Uh, so I I love cricket. I was okay at it. Um, and it was probably, as, as I said, my first love. I think you're underestimating yourself there with being okay. You're very modest, Dan, as we know. Um, 214. Not a bad knock in B grade. 
We're going back to 1995, 96. It held the record for 10 years. Not a bad knock. Yeah, pretty, disapp- pretty disappointed it was broken, I must admit. <laughs> that was actually a funny day because I I hadn't played for a while. Because that was 90, yeah, 95, 96. So I was playing at Hawthorne, into my first season at Hawthorne. Um, and, and I came back in for that game. And um, I was batting at number three. And we were one for none after like two balls or something. And I'm thinking, bloody hell, I haven't hit, had a hit ball for a long time and I'm going to come in in the first over with a new cherry and down there at my Park in Greensboro. And, um, and I was a bit nervous, I must admit. I was a bit toey. And I probably should have been out first ball. The, the, the story that isn't told is I probably should have been out first ball LB, but it wasn't given. Uh, I was very happy about that. So I got my eye in and decided that because I wasn't going to be able to play for the whole season, I'll just try and have some fun while I'm here. So it's one of those moments. Amazing what happens when you're not scared of something. You're not scared of going out or not scared of missing to the right when you're having a shot for goal. If you're not scared of doing it, chances are you execute the skills pretty well. So I didn't have any fear that day. And it was one of the most enjoyable days of my life, of my sporting life. I was, it was just one of those days that everything clicked. And and it's um, it's a special moment when when that happens, right? Um, And look, there's no doubt. It's interesting you talk about making the most of your opportunity after you were pretty much out at the start. That's the story of your life so far, I believe, Dan. Um, you've been not necessarily right place, right time, but you've been in the game to make the most of those opportunities. So I just want to touch on a couple of those quickly. I know we're taking up a bit of time. I'm going to keep this fairly quick now, um, okay. but there's no doubt we're going to have to do part two, part three over time with you, Dan. But let's uh, quickly... You, at what point did you make the choice to switch your efforts from cricket into footy? Uh, about under 15. I was in the state squad for the cricket and under 15s. Pretty sure it was 15s. Um, and I didn't make it in the end, and it was probably a blessing. I, I needed to make a call. There was too much going on in my world, and I needed to make a call one way or the other. And I, that was about the moment, I reckon. So I got my, the Till Cup squad uh, that next season for Victoria in the footy. And that pretty much cemented my pathway. That that was the that was where I was going to go. Okay, and and especially this is, has to be one of your most special moments, surely. Yeah, skipper um, of the Big V. With, uh, that was a great day at the MCG. Tony Brown is the other player in that fight. Of course, went on to have a great career at the at the Saints. Um, and Teddy, Teddy, had good fun that afternoon. He was full of energy. You can imagine Teddy would have been and pumping up the, what it means to play for Victoria and being a Victorian captain. Um, so that was a, that was a really nice experience. We had a bit to do. Not I didn't, but families had a bit to do with Teddy because um, Dad used to look after him at the airlines and get him some upgrades every now and then when he was working at TAA and Australian Airlines or whatever it was. So Teddy would Teddy would every year because he worked at Adidas. Teddy would every year deliver hand deliver a brand new tracksuit to my grandfather, Dad's dad, um, in Pasco Vale or in Sunbury wherever he was at the time. So there's. There was a little connection with Teddy, um, and every year he would do that for until pretty much Papa died or, or Teddy was out of action. Um, he would deli- hand deliver a new tracksuit to Papa every year. It was, a, it was a great little thing. Absolutely super. And obviously then drafted and the early days at the Hawks. <laughs> couple of, couple of big the, names there. Look at, the, look at the – I love how uh, you and Bunghole have uh, tucked in the – Tucked in the, the jumpers there. Good look. Well, I think you were pretty slick back to, in the day. Um, if you're going to be a footballer, you might as well look like a footballer. And that was always Absolutely. Dad's motto: pull your socks up, tuck your jumper yep. in. That was how we operated in the half half of the household. Yeah, I mean that was a great day. You look at you know, Paul Salmon came in '96. I got to the footy club. Jason Dunstall, Chris Langford, John Platt, and uh, Dermid come back from Sydney for that preseason before he got drafted by Collingwood. Darren Pritchard, Andy Collins, like that was the who's who. It was the end of the era, unfortunately for, for me, from a timing perspective. But to be a part of that was um, was something else. I never forget my first conversation at Hawthorne. John Hook, the footy manager, brought me in. I'd had a broken leg from the draft or the prelim in the under 18s that year. They drafted with a broken leg, and I'm hobbling down the stairs at the as only three stairs from the car park to the main room there at um, Glenfrey Oval and gym. I'm down the stairs and Hooky grabs me and says, I want to introduce you to someone. And I've grown up watching all these megastars. Like, they're megastars. And Hawthorne in the 80s, nearly, no, they're megastars. Everyone knew them. Everyone wanted to be one of them. And all of a sudden, I was there. So he calls this bloke over, and, and Jason Dunstall walked over. And uh, being a new kid, he was, thought he'd be nice, I suppose. He's 
put his hand out. He said, "G'day, I'm Jason Dunstall." My first words to Jason Dunstall and my my time at Hawthorne were, "No shit." Um, so that's that was my introduction to the Hawthorne Footy Club, just to be a part of something with bloke like Jason Dunstall comes up and says, "G'day" on the very first day. I was in heaven. Was um was Paul Cooper still there when you got there, huh? Yeah, my word, he was. Coops, great man. Yeah, great, great. He was the year above me at school at DLA. He was probably the most natural footballer I ever saw play at DLA. And just, yeah, just worked very player, hard. Didn't get the love yeah, that probably, um, did, probably didn't get the love he deserved from a footy perspective, but, yeah, ripping him. And in fact, I've seen a little bit um, with uh, the kids' footy, junior footy now. He's, he's at Bonara yeah. and we're in Campbell, so we, we play against each other. He's always floating around. Speaking of talents, Dan... Who who do you believe in your career the most gifted footballer that you reckon you played with? Firstly, oh, I I don't think there's any doubt. Um, and I only played with him one season, which I I really wish had been longer. It was Darren Jarman, and my first year in '95 right. um, was was Jar's last year at, at Hawthorne, and just watching him do his thing. On game day, but at training, you just think it's just a different game when the ball's in his hand. And I don't think there's any any doubt in my mind that he was the most natural, skillful, freakish player that I, I played with, or probably against. I must admit. Well, even against his his brother was pretty handy too. Yeah, Andrew had a good fight with him at Waverley one day. Um, <laughs> just he was mouthing off, and I was a brat youngster uh, with a high opinion of myself. Um, so we went head to head all day on the chirp. And um, he was playing half forward and I was playing half back uh, at Waverley. And we were just at each other all day. It was great fun. I used to get a real kick out of, of the adrenaline of that, that one-on-one battle with when someone's coming at you and you go back at them. And it's just a survival of the fittest and see who comes out on top. I think we won that day. So I, I came out on top, but I'll, I'll never forget that day. Hawthorne success, night comp. <laughs> um, not, a bad, not a bad pose in the Anset Cup back in the day. Well, we do silly things as young people, uh, and that was one of those things. Uh, unfortunately, that was the last trophy I held as a Hawthorne player, uh, the only one, the first one, and the only one. It was a night premiership. I was against Port Adelaide out at Waverley, uh, and I got the first kick of the game, and I reckon it was the last kick I had for the night as well. I didn't play very well. I remember that. But we won, um, so that was that was a good thing. Unfortunately, it didn't translate to, to much that season. That was the year Crawford won the Brownlow, so we got something out of it. We had a great finish to the season, Sorry. but we missed the eight that year. Or six, whatever it was yeah. back then. And we're we're chopping a little bit around, but state state representative footy with the big fish. Not a bad guy to have alongside you. And there was yeah, I'm sure there was many others that period. Yeah, sneaky little Michael Mansfield at the back of the uh, the picture too. That was a good day in, in Adelaide. Lee Matthews coached that team. Um, who was as we know is a is a legend of the game and one of the heroes of sport. But that team, like, I roomed with Gavin Brown, who was one of my heroes at Collingwood. So I'm um, what was I? No, I was 20. Um, yeah, 20 years old I was, 97. And uh, and I'm rooming with one of my heroes playing state footy Victoria. Like the world was spinning. It was it was just off tap. Um, so I got that was one of the great weeks of my life. Was in fact it was only a couple of days back in the old days. It was just a, the the midweek game um, back in, in those days. So we were, no sorry it was a weekend. It was a weekend because I remember because <laughs> I'll get to that bit in a sec. Uh, but I, and I. On the Thursday night when they announced the team, I was on, I was on the radio. There's only way you could get access to it. I was on the bench. I'd been named on the bench. I was a bit flat about that because I'd started the year really well in 97 and I wanted to be playing. So they're going to put me in the squad and play me. I was a bit dirty about that. But the team meeting the night before on the on the Friday night, it must have been, um, in Adelaide, with Lee Matthews there as his butcher paper and he brings the team over and I'm playing on the wing and I'm thinking, oh, fantastic. I'm going to get start. This is great. This is the best night ever. So it was the year that... Myself, Brad Johnson, Matthew Lloyd and Ozzy Jones all played our first games for the Big V. Now, it was my last game. The other boys went on, played a few more, but it was my one and only game. Um, so there's a bit of a regeneration going through, but it was Paul Salmon, um, Nathan Burke, Robert Harvey, Steve Silvani, uh, just you know, all-time greats. Um, Brownie, of course, as I mentioned before, the all-time greats, and I'm, I'm hanging out playing state footy against South Australia in, in Adelaide, footy park, Feral crowd, uh, and we got on top early. I actually started. I, I reckon I had 13 possessions in the first quarter. I was thinking EJ. I was thinking EJ, boys. So I thought it was going to be walking away the middle at the end of the night. Sort of tapered off from there. And then I got told to tag. Lee Matthews said to me at three-quarter time, I want you to tag Craig Bradley in the last quarter because the game was closing up a bit and they were coming at us a bit. 
I'm thinking to myself, it's state of origin league. We don't tag. It's not what we do. We don't want to tag anyone. So I've gone arm across Craig Bradley in the last quarter. And he's sitting there looking at me as if I'm stupid. What are you doing, mate? I said, Lee told me to tag you, Craig. I'm not going against what Lee said. So we, we tagged him um, and he was angry with me, trying to punch me up a bit. But we won by six points and we had a great night. It was my first all-nighter as a, um, as a, as a young man. I didn't go to bed. It was, I was partying with Brendan Laid, who was playing for South Australia that night. Of course, a well-known footy name these days. Coaching at Secure, doing a good job. Um, and we had a hell of a night. I don't know where we were. Joplin's might have been. Um, I don't know where we were, but we had some sort of night. We kicked on for all hours. And then I had to do the Sunday footy show. This is the story. I had to do the Sunday footy show handball with Chris Grant. Oh, Chris Grant's another one. Um, Chris Grant the next day. And I was in no no position, no state to be doing the Sunday footy show handball. And then they, they spun the wheel or whatever they did with the, the handball wheel. And I missed my hand with my first handball. I was that polar. I missed my hand with the handball and got zero. Embarrassed myself on national television. It was not a nice moment. But um, was that with enough, the left? Did you start with the left? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it wasn't my finest skill skill moment for a player who prided himself on his skills. It didn't go down well. Yeah, well, you were definitely one of those players that you couldn't tell the left from the right as far as what your favourite side were. You uh, you definitely mastered that as a kid and and brought it on later in your career, and which is a great attribute to have. And I'm sure you're trying to teach these AFL women girls that that's an important part of the game too as they grow their skill set. Get the fundamentals right. Just do the easy thing well and often. That's the that's the key to footy. It doesn't matter what level you play. Do the easy thing well and do it often and you'll be fine. That's my motto. Is that the biggest message you give as a coach, Dan? Like that one you said then, like, I'm jumping back on the coaching bandwagon again this year as a senior assistant at Dale. And that was yep. that's one of my big messages. Do know your role, but do the basics well. So if you take a mark, get back to your space, look at your options, use the ball well. The, the number of times, you, and you're, especially with young men and women coming up, they want to do the fancy kick, they want to do this. I said, just do the basics well. Then once you get to a level, you can then do things to make yourself bigger, make yourself fitter. Is that is that your biggest message you find you, you tell the young girls and that as they come in? Yeah, well, that's been my, my coaching philosophy all the way through, doesn't it? And you look at great teams around the world, like New England Patriots in the NFL, they're not, they're not a sexy, they weren't a sexy team, but they did the same thing and the best thing time and time again. Look at Melbourne Storm. I know AC, you're big into them. They do the same thing, the easy thing, time and time again. Complete your sets. Complete your sets, get some field position, and we'll see where it goes from there. There's a time for flair. There's a time for talent and, and um, a bit of creativity, and that's all well and good, but you've got to pick those moments too. But if you can do the simple thing easy and often, you'll be fine. You'll win more games than you'll lose if you get that right. I can guarantee you that much. I make, I've got a rule. Um, we, we don't make shit up. That's, that's how I, t- I phrase it. Don't make shit up. If it's, not, if it's not normal or natural or what you think you should do, don't do it. Find something else. Yeah, yeah great advice. And, and a good mate of mine, Rust, Rusty Brown from Electric Mary, has uh, posted a comment who loves his footy and loves his swans. He says, you seem like a very loving human, Daniel, which is absolute. He's picked it in one. Is there any side you don't like or anything you have angst for? The sides in footy, um, I'm not massive on the Bombers, I must admit. They're a team that uh, used to give us hell when I was playing. I'm not no, too distressed no, to see them in, in no some too, pain just, at the moment, Quinn. Let's just push it apart one moment. <laughs> press it and we'll just all move Oh, on. look, there's always... <laughs> footy's a great game. I, I don't begrudge anyone anything. Like, I, my, my super competitive days have, have gone long gone. Um, I try and get the best out of the people I work with. But, you know, it's in the end of the day, as, as we all know, it's just a game. And once you can get home... That night you go to sleep and wake up the next day, you've had a good day. Um, so I don't get too stressed about that sort of stuff anymore. I try and control. It's a really stupid coach saying, but I just control what's in front of me and what I can control. If it happens outside of my powers, then there's actually nothing I can do about it. I try not to worry about it, like everyone. Um, there are some factors in life that get to you a bit that you, you, you prefer not to be worrying about, but you do. Um, but I've got a pretty simple philosophy in life that just keep it simple. Just do what you can with what you've got. Um, and that's that's a really good motto, I reckon. And we've just had a comment from a good friend of mine. Um, loved watching you go about your work and your playing days, Dan. Just tell us your your best Dermy story. So let's keep this one short. <laughs> just just a little snippet, if you could, about the inside into the great man Dermot Brereton. Well, I'll give you two, one story and one's a sort of 
um, rambling about Dermot, the rambling first. Dermot, the, the mark of a man or mark of a person, in my eyes anyway, is how they treat your friends and your family. And Dermot has, without fail, since he met Beck, the world champ, my wife, every time I see him, he asks about it. He asks, how's Beck going? How's the world champ, he calls it. And then every time he sees her at a function or whatever, he makes a point of coming up to say good day and, and having a chat. Now, that's, that's a good human being in my eyes, and I respect him enormously for that. Now, I'm not anyone special. I've been playing five flags like Dermot did. I was a part of his footy club for a bit, which was great. And I'm sure there's a, an element of, um, of bond that goes with that. But I, I, I didn't play with Dermot. I'm not a mate of his, but he makes a point every, every time we're coming up to say good day to Beckham. I reckon that sums up Dermot, full stop. Um, he's a really genuine, giving, loving human being. And the story that I'll give you is, is from the first day I met him. <laughs> oh, God. So he'd come back from Sydney um, to do a pre-season with us. He, w- he wanted to come back to Hawthorne that year. Um, and I, we all thought he would. Um, ended up going to Collingwood. Lee Matthews dra- drafted him to, to Collingwood to help out Savarocco, which was a bloody good choice in the end. <laughs> I'm in, it it start, sounds a bit dodgy, but it's all right. I'm in the toilet. Right? There's two cubicles that face each other. The, the tray's over there, and then there's the two cubicles with a wall in between and, and that face each other with the doors, obviously, to close once you go in. So I, I walk into the toilet and I sit down and get to the closed door, and Dermot comes into the bathroom behind me and goes, don't you shut that door. I'm, th- I'm sitting there this is the first time I've met Dermot, the first conversation, first engagement I've had with Dermot. I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? What's he, what's he, what's he going to do to me, this bloke? All right, I have to close the door. And he's, he sits in the other cubicle, so we, there's a wall between us now. And he goes, the team that shits together wins flags. That was, his, that was my first conversation with Dermot. And then he went on to, to have, we had a, probably took too long, had a 15-minute conversation about, and he was just probing me with who I barracked for as a kid and who was my favourite Player, with them. Memories of footy and we footy <laughs> on the bogger with the wall between us. Like it was the most unusual scenario. But that's Derm. Derm just, he's a good human. He doesn't care where you are, where you live, where you're from, what you've done. If you're in his vicinity, you got a chance, he's got a chance to catch up and chat footy with you. He'll he'll do it. He's a good man. Derm he's a very genuine person. I'm not like I met him a couple of times at Coops and he came and did a couple of sportsman's nights at D Low and that. And now when he sees me now, He'll come out of his way. G'day. It's Glenn, isn't it? Like, he'll always check and make sure. But the thing, and I say this to Aaron all the time, I love someone when they speak to you, they actually look at you and, and they, they listen with their eyes as well as their ears. And Dermy's one of those blokes. I think he's a, I think he's a top bloke. Love the way he goes about it. A little bit of a dodgy internet line, mate. So we'll, we'll wrap this up shortly. Definitely that's rubbed off on you, Dan. There's so many people I meet and they they don't know that I know you from growing up as a kid. And it's interesting that everyone's reaction of Daniel Harford is what a nice guy. And isn't that a great way to be? Now, you're from a great family, good stock. Your mum and dad are unbelievable people. Your brothers are super blokes. Your sisters are even better. What a great family. I know you, out of all those, um, we do need to touch on this. There is... Well, if you ask him, as we know, he knows and he will tell us. But was your older brother, Luke, the Harford that should have been the Harford name, household name? Um, no, no, because he was a lazy turd. Um, he he was, Luke was the most natural athlete. He was the most gifted sports person by a mile, by a mile. He was, um, he was outstanding. Golf, cricket, footy, whatever. Whatever, and still is. He plays golf off one or two at the moment. He's killing me, driving me bananas. So he's he's a really good sportsman, but he just like it was just never his thing. And that's you see that a lot. You see a lot of natural athletes, sports people who don't want to be that full time consumed beast by it. And that was never Lukey's Lukey's mojo, the modus operandi. He just wanted to do his thing with his mates, have a good time, and go about his business. And and I respect him for that enormously. I must admit. Um, because it's it's I imagine it's probably hard. Sometimes you, you think about gee, where's what a what an opportunity it might have been had I sort of given it what a lot of people would give their left arm for. 
but it was his go, and he that's that's the way he lived and, and made those calls. He was the most natural athlete, I think. Um, Mick was Mick was a real hard all the talent that Luke or Brian had in many respects, but worked his backside off and became a really accomplished local sports person um, and and a good coach too, but a good coach these days in men's footy. But um, yeah, Lukey was, and he will tell you, um, Lukey was probably the most natural gifted athlete. Yeah, it's great to hear. Look, we're going to wrap this up. I know we're definitely going to have to get you back at some stage for a part two, and I really look forward to that. And we'll, I'd like to talk about your radio career eventually um, and life after footy in respect of your playing career and what you've been able to now bring as a coach. Um, but I do need to just touch one quick moment from your playing career. And I, I worked really hard back in to try and find some footage of some older playing highlight reel. And sadly, you're in the before before YouTube uh, clip. But what I did find was this classic moment, and we have to talk about it. He had a very good view of it, he said, and he was quite animated that no stage did the ball hit the post. He, uh, he came forward to give a goal signal, but because of the controversy of the, the Hawthorne players, he decided he'd check with uh, Troy Burton, our field umpire, and uh, he walked out to Troy and Troy said, well, he couldn't tell from his position whether it hit the post or whatever. And so therefore, Steve went back to, to give the goal decision. And then with the controversy still raging and the umpire coming in, he thought, well, what he would do to be doubly sure, he would check with the boundary umpires to make sure that neither of them had seen the incident of the ball hitting the post, uh, which they hadn't. And so therefore, Steve correctly went ahead and gave the decision in which he was quite 100% sure in his own mind. No doubt, an iconic moment in football. Now you're known for the goal, the goalpost climb. Um, Lethal obviously snapped a point post. You decided to climb a goalpost. Just tell us a little bit about what the hell was going through your head. You were very irate at the umpire, so you were you were very confident. <laughs> you had, you were right, but you just wanted to make sure he knew the spot where the ball hit. Tell yeah, us a bit about um, that. Oh, well, look, as, and this sort of goes back to before, Glenn, my my dislike for some clubs, and this is just another example of Essendon cheating the system, uh, clearly. Now, that you, you saw you saw that ricochet off the goalpost at a 45-degree angle. Like, there is no doubt whatsoever that ball ricochets smack bang off the middle of the body part. I don't think it deviated so, at all. I didn't say much deviated <laughs> at all. <laughs> I'm not after all about. these years, after all these years, you're absolutely certain, aren't you, Dan? No, 100%. No, it's 45 degrees. Look at it again. It's it's 45 degrees. <laughs> anyway, so I, I got carried away. I must have been close. I must have been emotional, which I was often caught up in the game and, and living those moments as they sort of happen pretty emotionally. Um, and I carried on like a bit of a two-bob watch, I must admit, looking back at that. It's not, not a great thing to look back on. But the climbing the post was interesting because I like I was exasperated. I had nowhere else to – nothing else to do to signify – signal to the goal umpire that it had – hit the post. So what else can I do? I'll climb it and show him where it hit. Um, and that's all very well and good in theory. But it was a situation where we were playing a, one of the twilight game against the bomber of the Chutes. And um, we were using, I went up and pointed to a red dot on the post. There, it's hit here. You missile, it's bloody hit here. How can you not see it's hit here? Of course, we're using yellow footy, weren't we? At the time, I didn't quite calculate that into proceedings. Um, so the, the spot I was kicking, uh, pointing to didn't actually exist anyway from, from what happened. But it was a dead set 45 degree ricochet. I'll never, I'll never forget it. Clearly, because I climbed the body post. But the the, the um, decision by the goal umpire, who was in a horrible position, like you said, uh, to make to get that so wrong uh, from in front of so many people. And bloody Blumfield, Justin Blumfield. That's why he got traded. I think in the end because he's a cheat. Well, yeah. <laughs> I suppose it'll it'll always it'll always be one of those ones that. Uh, that goes around the, around the story, and I'm sure that story will get bigger and better over the years as we get older. So, um, Dan, I'd like to really thank you for your time, mate. You've been more than generous. Um, I know we talked about a half with half. We've gone into overtime. We've played an extra half quarter, um, half a quarter. I would really appreciate if we could get you on again at some stage, mate, and talk about life um, after after footy, most importantly, um, but also what, what else – is in your plans to move forward um, outside of COVID and what you hope to achieve there. So we'll talk about that later. Glenn, last question for Dan. Um, hard one, mate. I ask yourself of all the ex sort of players who play at the highest level, who was the bloke you hated to play on? Like one for 
skill, but if you weren't careful, he'd whack you as well. Like the sort of bloke you think, oh shit, I've got to go and mind him today. Well, there's a, there's a few. I'll go through a couple of quick. Robert Harvey, um, because I knew I was yeah. going to get absolutely smashed to bits up and down the ground at Waverley. And he, I tagged, what about this, Glenn? You'll love this. I tagged him one day, Robert Harvey. He had 42. Um, that, that wasn't a fantastic tagging performance by me. So Robert Harvey used to used to scare me. And then Brad Scott, when he was playing at Brisbane, we played the first couple of years or first year at, at Hawthorne together. We drafted together. Brad Scott was faster than me, was stronger than me, um, was was fitter than me. So I, I didn't have many things up my sleeve. I had to try and outcraft him. So I knew I was in for a hell of a day when I played on Brad Scott. But the one that stands out without a doubt, in fact, it wasn't just one, it was it was three. Um, it was the, the Bulldogs' little mafia squad of Libertoro, Ramiro, and, and Dimitina. He used to absolutely terrorise me. Scratch and kick and punch and bite and all that sort of stuff. They used to absolutely terrorise me. So I knew I was in for a, a big day at the office when those three were, were coming at me. Uh, not just trying to stop me, but they ended up working as a trio most times to, to punch to get you. someone up. Mate, funny, and I was a target a few times. So they were the ones... It's funny you say about um, blokes like Harvey having 42 on you. When I was a bit younger and a bit fitter, I was at Melbourne under-19 for a couple of years and I was playing in a practice match there one day. And Aaron and I spoke about this story because this is one of his idols, being a Melbourne supporter. This young bloke came down from the country and Mark Cross was the coach of the 19s at the time, coach of the 19s and the 2s. He said, he said, cause that was my name. He goes, just playing this country bloke and, and roughing him up a bit. And the bloke I played him was a lovely bloke. I shook his hand at the start. I reckon he had about 50 touches on me. Stephen Tingo. And at the end, <laughs> I, I knew you were going to say Tingo. And at the end of the game... I knew I was, you were going to say came, Tingo. He came up and said, oh, thanks, because you went really well. I thought, mate, I did not get anywhere near <laughs> But there. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic. On. Fantastic. Thanks again, Dan, mate, for your oh, time. We really, mate, really we really appreciate it. Um, I'd like to just... Finish with this lovely photo of Daniel. Beautiful publicity shot there. Radio RSN. Make sure you get on board. It's a, it's the morning breakfast. I know Dan would love to hear your dulcet tones if you happen to ring in and have a chat. Um, we're going to touch on that in a maybe a few weeks' time, hopefully. We'll find a time outside, maybe outside of finals. But I can't finish this without your premiership tip, Dan. And I know we're early in the in the finals piece. But let's go early and let's just go round the round the crew of who who you think's going to win it. I want it to be Port Adelaide because I like my player. It's a good brand of footy that we buy to. But yeah, I think the Tigers are too good. Glenn, what's your thought? Unfortunately, I think Thursday night's uh, sorry Friday night's game Brisbane Richmond. If Brisbane can win that, they could go all the way. But I think their their biggest thing is their little the little man and their on their shoulder and their little headspace. If they can't kick straight early, they might go to water. That's that's their only thing. But if they can get over right. that, I think they can go the, go the whole way. All right. I'm going to shake it up, and I reckon Friday night's game is the grand final um, pre, preamble. I think the Brisbane versus Richmond, it's, it's massive. Um, and I think if Brisbane can sneak one, I think they're going to meet the Tigers again. I think that can happen in the grand final. So let's see. We will talk very soon. Daniel, thanks again for your time. You've been more than generous, as you always are, um, and appreciate it. And say hi to your lovely family of yours. And back at yours, uh, say good to assist and the kids as well. Looking forward to catching up with them soon. Thank you, Kaz. Nice to chat, mate. Look forward to doing it thanks, again. Yep. Lovely, mate. Good to see you, buddy. Cheers, half. All the best. See you, mate. Bye. How good's that to spend uh, more than more than half an hour with a half? We, he's always generous with his time. He's a great guy. So proud that I can call him a mate. I'm very lucky to have been close to that family for a long time. And I look forward to seeing um, Daniel's career in radio, not only radio, but I think he should have his own TV station, mate. Um, he's got plenty to offer. To me, what I know about Dan is he's the most genuine guy you'll ever come across. Um, a massive heart. He's got so much to give. AFLW is in great hands with Daniel uh, at the forefront. And I, if they ever get to a point where there's a, a state team in women's footy, uh, Dan is the man, I'm telling you. Um, we didn't even touch on the big shorts component, but um, big shorts, um, that's, that's to fit. 
It's to fit a how would you describe it? Um, a big bum. Let's let's leave it at that. But Dan always uh, he was very good on the left, very good on the right, um, and I think Big Shorts is a fitting name. And we didn't even touch on that and how he even got that name. But um, I know he at least went two or three sizes up um, when he ordered. So I'm pretty sure he was knowing Daniel, he would have been last in line. Um, Last in line waiting for his gear, and he happened to get the stuff that was left at the end, which was a 2XL that Fish probably didn't want. Um, so he he probably stole Daniel Shorts um, and probably how he uh, earned the name. So we'll follow that up one up next time. Remind me of that one, Glenn. But it's great. And and let's talk – let's just quickly touch on this because we won't get a chance before the um, finals now. If we start on Thursday night. Let's talk very quickly, and I know we, the other guys, um, sadly, Mark Burke was a busy man today. Um, well, not sadly. That's great news out of lockup that he's, he's busy um, and and just couldn't get away from work. So uh, Mark sends his apologies to everyone. Um, our other mate, Luke Morgan, um, he couldn't make it either. So, look, we, we plan to get a bit of a roundtable happening. Um, the more guys we can get on this and girls, the better. So we're going to start to find ourselves a, a charity to align with. Um, we're also going to talk about what we're going to do in October. So we're going to make that call, um, what we're going to do. So let's put that on our Facebook page of which which uh, program we're going to run with for, for October. Um, but I'm interested in your Friday, Thursday night game, um, Port Adelaide versus Geelong at Adelaide Oval. Thoughts? Well, the game this year turned out to be a little bit of a fizzer in the end, didn't it? Look, the game, which often happens with a game that gets talked up, doesn't quite reach the dizzy heights that people expect it to. I'm not convinced about Geelong. I know that sounds, I suppose, hard to believe when you look at the year they've dished up and what a, what a good year they've had. But I just, as Dan said, I like the way Port go about it. They they fly under the radar because they haven't got superstars. Like if you look at Charlie Dixon, you, you, you don't put, yes, him and Tommy Hawkins are in the same conversation but you wouldn't normally put them in the same conversation. Like, you don't look at Charlie Dixon as a superpower f- forward. He's done well this year to, to give that option. But that said, if he doesn't go to goal, he can work up the field, play up, play as a high forward, and they get flags, they get, they get sides out the back. So, look, I think... Look, I think... I think it'd be a good... I hope it's a good game. Look, I think, I think Port might get the Cats, and I think if Port get the Cats... I reckon the cats will start questioning themselves. I think the Who's, cats. Are um, good. Sorry, so with Port Adelaide, um, is it is it is it Dixon if he doesn't fire, and is it Hawkins if he doesn't fire for Geelong? Is that the difference? Can it be as well, simple as that? Well, I think if Dixon doesn't fire, I still think Port go okay. If Hawkins doesn't fire, then you got then you're falling on Gary Rowan, who's a good. Bits player, part part time player, but is Gary Rowan going to kick five or six? Like Hawkins has got to kick three or four, have a hand in a couple more. I think for Geelong to win. Yep. Okay. Righto. So your tip is, I'll go Port. Righto. I'll go the Cats just to shake that one up. So just to shake it up. One of us will be one of us will be right. Friday night. Your thoughts on is this potentially a grand final preview? Look, I think it is. Look, as silly as it sounds, I honestly think everyone says it's Richmond to lose, but I'm in the camp that if Brisbane can get their headspace right and get their conversion rate right, they could win it. Can they beat Richmond twice? Well, I think they can. If they beat Richmond on Friday night, it's going to give them oodles of confidence for when they play them again. Whereas... Yeah, and- and absolutely, at, at home, night or twilight grand final, it's go got the all, way, the, all the story go, of a fairy tale for sure. Go the other way. I think like Geelong, if they get beaten and torn a new one on Friday, they could drop off. But whether they bounce back the week after, I'm not sure. I think then Fagan would have his work cut out because the mental demons are start, start to play in their head. Oh, shit, hang on. This happened last year. What's going on? Okay, righto. Who's your tip? I think the I think the Lions. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Let's go with the lines there. So Saturday, we moved to Saturday. The the Battle of the Battlers. Um, and fantastic that these two have made the grand, oh, sorry, grand final. First final anyway. Um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, St Kilda, haven't, haven't been there for a while. Western Bulldogs, we all know what they're capable of. Um, can they get it together now? Well, they've come in with a bit of form, the Doggies, which is good, as have, as have the Saints for that matter. I think the Dogs... I think the Dogs could go deep in the finals if they win. If the Saints win this one, I'm not sure how deep they'll go. I, I can see the Dogs building momentum like they did in 16. Yep. Righto. So you're on, you're on the Dogs? I'm on the Doggies. I'm on the Doggies, yep. Okay, I'm I'm passionate for the Saints. I I, I think the the doggies have had their shot. I'd love to see the Saints win, and obviously I'm a, I'll call declare my bias. I'm a Melbourne supporter, so um, I'm up for the battler, the ones that haven't done yep. it. I don't really want St Kilda to win it before we do, to be perfectly honest. But I'd love to see the Saints uh, continue the momentum. They've had a great year, and I'd love to see them at least win one final. So I'm yep. on the Saints. So we're one of us are going to be very right and one of us is going to be very wrong by the end of this. So we should have, we should have a Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now going over across to WA, um, Collingwood, I genuinely believe, and they've, they've done their best uh, to make this quarantine as hard as possible on, on Collingwood. Um, they've had to self-isolate for a period of time where the Eagles have been a little bit more generous with what they've been allowed to do. Um, it's... 8.10 p.m., so it's obviously a few hours back as we've got a daylight saving change here. So the Eagles, um, grand final replay from a couple of years ago. Uh, it, it's going to be an interesting game, this one. Mate, any other side travelling over there, you'd say no chance. Collingwood, got to give them a chance. They travel well. They find a way, whether it's galvanising as a group or whatever it is when they travel, they find a way when they travel to play well. They're, apart from, I think, one game this year where I think I think West Coast got hold of them a little bit in the wet. Over the last three or four years, they travel very well, regardless of their later position. So they would believe they're a big show. And look, you've got to question just how fit some of the blokes West Coast are bringing back in are. McGovern's missed one. Shuey's missed a couple. Yep. Look, 2001 grand final. Yes, it started the dynasty for Brisbane, but Essendon play, play blokes that weren't 100% ran out of legs in the second half. It's a it's fine to roll that dice, but if the dice doesn't roll the way you want it to, you end up with egg on your face. Yeah, absolutely. So like, I, I think West Coast should win, but I wouldn't be surprised if Collingwood did win. Right, yeah, I'm, I'm all for momentum, and I'd love to see the Pies um, get over there, be the underdog, come good, and then you never know what happens once they got a bit of steam up. So I'm going for the Pies there. Um, I've got some good friends and family that love their Pies, and so I, I think the Eagles have had their shot. Um, I'm yep. all for equality these days so we're giving everyone a shot of the granny this is this is possibly uh you know they all some there was was a conversation in relation to this is the one you don't want to be really known for winning but i reckon it's one of the hardest challenges they've been away from their families and friends and everyone else for a long period of time this has been a hard one um and this they're not done yet this is going to be a, a long final series um and a real test of character i think uh, to see who's Who's got it? I don't necessarily think it's going to be a survival of the fittest this time. I think it's going to be a real mental application, um, and I can't wait to see the next few weeks unfold. Tell me the 22 players who get premiership medals in three weeks' time, tell me they're going to give it back if someone says, yeah, it's not a real premiership. Well, I mean, we're talking premierships. I'll take the uh, – I don't even know what it was called, but we had that uh, pre-season comp. With was Melbourne, it no, it wasn't. No, we're not going far that far back. Um, no, it was only what's this that that uh, AFL oh, wasn't even nines. What was that thing? Oh, AFL. it was an absolute shambles of a setup. But we went and we took it. We took the cup. So as Melbourne supporters, it's another trophy in the bank for sure. <laughs> we will add it. We'll take it. 
Um, it's a long way back for us, and we've definitely taken a step backwards this year. There was big expectations on the Demons. Uh, sadly, they haven't delivered again. A lot of people talk about culture. I talk about just intensity and effort and the ability to keep continuously bring it. Um, look, the hub just didn't – it wasn't for us, um, and I'm not saying that's an excuse, but – we blew our chance. And then, and then the classic case of trying to rely on other teams to make it, that's not how you want to play a final series. No. So it's uh, back to the drawing board for the Demons. Um, the NRL, thank God, the Storm are competitive and they're flying. So we are a chance to win a Melbourne Premiership this year. It just won't be in my much-beloved Demons. So let's sign off with that, Glenn. Um, and let's, let's, uh, let's finish on a classic video again that we played a little snippet of last week and what I love about it is it talks very much about um, the way we should approach our sport these days um, and I'm struggling to find the video just as I say it but here I've, I've found it now and we're going to finish just with this little bit of footage um, and the way you should approach and talk to people. Let's have a listen to this from Razor Ray. Just relax. So hopefully okay. that's a question. That's hopefully a question that does get asked. It's okay, and I hope you're okay. And I hope you're okay too, Glenn. And let's see. You I'll too, see mate. you this week. Cheers, buddy. Take it easy. Thank you.